Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge Podcast. This week, Ned and I discuss Lufthansa's earnings and Ryanair's expansion plan. Can Azul actually buy LATAM? And whether Air Canada's premium leisure trend will continue. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey there, Ned. How are you today? I'm good, Madhu. How are you doing? Good, good. We got a lot to get to. But before we get to it, let's talk about the Skift Aviation Forum, which comes up on November 17th. That sounds like a great idea. We've got a, a you know, robust lineup of airline executives from Stephen Udvarhazi to Peter Elbers at KLM. Even the CEO of Tap Air Portugal is going to tell us how that airline is riding the country's tourism wave. Indeed. For those, the, uh, for those of you interested in joining us, check out live.skift.com for details on how to register. And registration is free for Airline Weekly subscribers. Yet another good reason to subscribe. All right, Ned, let's talk about Lufthansa and Europe in general. You covered Lufthansa's and Ryanair's earnings this week. What did you learn from, from Lufty? Well, the big theme is is Europe's leisure recovery is is went gangbusters in the third quarter. You know, Karsten Spohr, the CEO of Lufthansa Group, talked about the strength of leisure during the the summer and really continuing into the fall. So, sort of trailing off into into the fourth quarter into October, and that helped Lufthansa narrow its net loss uh, for the third quarter by more than 600 million euros from the second quarter. Yeah, when I was reading your story, Ned, I actually thought that was a typo. And I remember asking you while I was editing it, I said, are you sure about that number? Because that is like, what, over 600 million euros. It's 600, they narrowed it by 680 million euros from about 753 million in the second quarter to 72, 73 million in the third quarter, which is a dramatic improvement. Yeah, that is the dramatic is one word for it. And what what fueled that? Is it was it just uh, vacationers in the th- the peak summer season? It, it was it was a cross section of things. So first off, uh, their the Eurowing subsidiary, their their budget subsidiary, which caters to leisure travelers. You know, they did really well in the third quarter. They produced a profit, which is their first since the pandemic began. You know, Lufthansa Cargo is still doing really well. Uh, Spore described it as yet another record quarter for the airline. They had a 301 million positive EBIT during the third quarter. And then uh, you know, they saw improvements across the board in, in other businesses. Uh, premium leisure traffic, which we've talked about before, was up. And when they reopened bookings uh, across the North Atlantic, uh, well, not when they did, but when, when the U.S. announced that, that vaccinated travelers could, could move, they said, well, bookings are down overall, are, are back to 80% of 2019 levels. Business class bookings are back to 88%. And wow. first class bookings are back to 92%. So the premium leisure travelers are out there. Spore went as far to say as, as people who've been, you know, through the, as we've gone through COVID and we've saved money, we just don't want to be cooped up in a middle seat anymore. And people are willing to pay for that. So. Wow. There were a lot of things driving Lufthansa's uh, solid third quarter. Well, let's let's get back to something you mentioned earlier. Um, so the Eurowings did really well, and as we know, like Europe has a very robust and aggressive budget carrier market <clears throat> with the likes of Ryanair and Wizz and EasyJet, um, among others. But uh, how did 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 they discuss? Did uh, Spore discuss uh, the other units of the group, like Lufthansa Mainline, Swiss, Brussels? You know, he, they really didn't dive into any of the individual operating subsidiaries, uh, uh, save Eurowings. You know, we talked about the network carriers and and spoke that, you know, travelers are coming back, especially on leisure-oriented flights. 
business traffic is back to about 40% of pre-crisis levels uh, across the network carriers. But Spore really didn't go in the details of any any one of, of their network brands. Huh. So um, the, this this when you said business traffic, you meant... Corporate travelers, yeah. Right, okay. So, so Lufthansa Mainline, I mean, I assume... It is seeing some, and and Swiss, like the, those are two very corporate focused airlines, or they were before the pandemic. How how did he did he mention anything about how they're how, what they're seeing in their numbers? Well, like you said, uh, they're back to about forty percent of pre crisis levels. You know, they are seeing uh, strength from corporates in in home market Germany, Switzerland, Austria as well as some adjacent markets, Northern Italy, Scandinavia, mm -hmm. which uh, notably Scandinavia is a market where Eurowings is actually expanding, though right. they're, they're targeting leisure travelers. But uh, yeah, they are seeing some strength from corporates. They're particularly small and medium-sized enterprises. You know, those are coming back first. But you know, he is confident in, in the continued business travel recovery. Though interestingly, not as confident as some executives. You know, we've heard here in the U.S. Uh, 80 to 100 percent back in 2022. You know, Lufthansa's forecast for the group is back to 60% in 2022 oh. for business travel. So 60%. it's it, it, that's a good deal lower than 80 to 100 that we've heard here in the U.S. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next year. Yeah, well, I wonder how much of that 60% or the, the missing 40% is travel business travel to Asia. Now, I know you mentioned in your story that, that Asia remains kind of, like it does for a lot of most airlines, um, uh, just that whole network is dark for a lot of airlines. And the same is true Absolute, for Lufthansa, right? Absolutely. Spore spoke of, of when, when analysts were asking about the capacity recovery and they're forecasting flying 70% of 2019 and 2022, the big question mark is Asia. They you know, talked about Thailand and Singapore have begun to reopen and they're resuming mm -hmm. some flights there. But China's dark. You know, much Many of it, the other destinations in Asia are dark at this point. And Spore said, really, it's it's unknown. They're thinking that more of Asia could come online mid-2022, which is somewhat in line of what we've heard from other airlines, but it's it's not a firm thing at all. And until you see China reopen, Japan reopen, uh, all these other places, it's going to, you know, getting business travel back to pre-crisis levels is going to be a hard, hard thing to do. That's for sure. Yeah, well, you know, last week, um, Hawaiian Airlines CEO Peter Ingram said that he was pretty sure Japan and South Korea would reopen fairly quickly. And, uh, he, he was predicting, you know, by the end of this year or the first quarter of next year. And that, of course, is a huge market for Korean, or not, well, it is a huge market for Korean, but a huge market for Hawaiian. But it's also a very big market for Lufty, right? Absolutely. You know, they, yeah, they flew a lot into that region uh, before the crisis. And they're, they're down the most there. They barely flew 30% of their, no, sorry, they barely flew 20% of their Asia capacity wow. in the third quarter uh, from 2019. So there's a long way to go. And, you know, I'm sure that's anything. Though I just, it's hard to gel Lufthansa at 60% business traffic to uh, Emirates president Tim Clark's comments at the IADA GM a month ago that they would see a full recovery in 2022. It's, I, I have a hard time getting to a full recovery in business travel uh, happening next year, especially with international borders. But I guess we'll see. I think nobody knows and everyone wants a guess. And there's a lot of wishful thinking and like and gazing into crystal balls that are not really clear at all. <laughs> but, That's for sure. That's let's for move sure. on. I mean, Ned, um, you know, you meant Eurowings is obviously Luft Lufthansa Group's uh, fair-haired boy um 
Are we allowed to say that anymore? Anyway. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this, Madhu. <laughs> you just but, dig yourself that hole. <laughs> so how, how um, another, I mean, another really, Eurowings is competing with the likes of Ryanair, which also reported its earnings this week. And they did. They what did. did you find they, out from them? You know, Ryanair also had a solid third quarter. Not, uh, I mean, they did, they weren't profitable, but they, they did have a very strong period, leisure travel driven you know, they remain focused on, on growth. You know, they talked about uh, increasing the number of annual passengers, 225 million annually, up from about 150 pre-crisis huh. uh, by 2026. So, you know, they're focused on that growth. And, you know, Michael Leary Group CEO really sees an opening for the airline to grow in the likes of Lufthansa and Air France KLM, and IAGs uh, pulling back. Now, Carson Spore spoke to that today and, and said <laughs> in no uncertain terms that they're using Eurowings to sort of bulwark their core mm. Central European network against the likes of Ryanair uh, and Wizz Air and EasyJet. So it's interesting. it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, well, that is interesting because Ryanair has been saying that for a few months now, or, or yeah. for um, at least before the, the peak summer season. And... Um, and that may have been true, you know, earlier in the pandemic or earlier in this crisis, but both Air France and Lufthansa are using their budget arms, Transavia in, in Air France's case and Eurowings in Lufthansa's case to uh, to fight against uh, exactly what Michael O'Leary was predicting. So I wonder how true his uh, his prediction is. Did he? Do you have any sense for how, how confident he was? You know, unfortunately, I don't, it, it's hard to gauge his kind of, you know, he comes off as, as always fully confident. confident right? yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but I think the best place to put it is with so many things is somewhere, figure it somewhere in the middle. Ryanair is going to gain some share, but not as much as they hope to. And, you know, the Lufthansa groups and Air France Kalen groups of the of the industry are going to defend themselves, but probably not as much as they hope to. So, you know, I put. I know that's a. It's a very middle of the road kind of answer, but that's probably what the truth is going to be. Some markets will be seated, but some won't. You know, it's going to be interesting. Like Scandinavia, I know that Lufthansa Group has long had a strong, you know, uh, frequent flyer base there. There's a lot of business between Europe, uh, between Sweden and Germany. Uh, so you know, it's a natural expansion for Eurowings to go up there. And I'm using this as an example because Ryanair and Eurowings have opened Stockholm bases mm-hmm. uh, in just the last uh, month or plan to in the next few months. And so. It, Sure, Ryanair probably will get a larger piece of that market. Norwegian has retrenched and pulled out of there, so there is definitely a gap. But you know, when you think about uh, you know, as let travelers go, Eurowings is part of the Lufthansa African Flyer program. Mm-hmm. You've got all these other benefits. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, there's the argument to be made. Like, if I'm going to buy a ticket on a budget carrier, do I want to fly? Ryanair and save a few euros or do I want to get my points um, and, you know, fly Eurowings. So right. I, I, Lufthansa's have a competitive angle in that market as they grow. So it'd be interesting to watch. Yeah, for sure. And uh, how did Michael, I, I, I imagine O'Leary had a few things to say about the game changers, as he calls it, <laughs> that they're waiting for. And for those of you who haven't been listening to this podcast or don't follow Ryanair's earnings, Michael O'Leary and team have been busy 
for a while now rebranding the 737 Max as the 737 Game Attempting to rebrand Madu. Attempting to. They're trying to make Fetch happen. And it's not happening, O'Leary. It's just not happening. No one is going to call the Max the Game Changer, the 737 Game Changer, no matter how much you want to try to wish it to happen. So anyway... He's he's had he's had a few things to say about Boeing and production delays with the Dash Ten game changers. Yes, exactly. So they, you know, we've talked about this before, but Ryanair and Boeing were in talks over a, a Max Ten order uh, that broke down in September, I believe. And he he did have some choice words. He called Boeing's pricing for the Max Ten delusional. And that's a direct <laughs> quote. So. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he said that uh, Ryanair is good for the next few years. And, you know, when Boeing is ready to meet them on price, they'll be waiting. So he didn't really kick open the door to, a com- you know, a competing A320neo family order, which was interesting because he did talk about Airbus winning the Jet 2 order, right. um, you know, IAG not moving on firming their letter of intent for Max's. Uh, which I should say is still out there. We don't know. They still could firm that that letter of intent. So while he had some choice words for Boeing, he didn't he didn't shut them down and go, we're going to Airbus or anything either. So I, I feel like it's it's typical Michael O'Leary, um, you know, basically you know, negotiating in the press for uh, for a better price <laughs> as as he always does. Well, he, he it's a winning strategy for him. So Ned, let's let's take a little break here. And we're back. So, Ned, let's move on. Let's move continents to to South America. You had a, a really interesting story that you that was first reported, to be fair, in the Chilean press um, about um, Azul and Latam. That's right. So, you know, we've talked about Azul wanting to acquire Latam's uh, Brazilian unit out of uh, out of, through their Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, essentially by the former TAM operation. And, you know, really become the largest airline in Brazil. And a few months ago, Azul was talking about how this, you know, they didn't want the international aspects. They just wanted Brazil. Well, that's changed. Uh, in an interview with the Chilean daily Diario Financiario, I'm sorry, I just butchered oh, that. And please <laughs> feel free to write in to er at skiff.com to correct his pronunciation. <laughs> Regardless, John Rogerson, the CEO of Azul, confer- uh, st- confirmed on the record that they want all of LATAM Airlines Group, uh, not just the Brazilian unit. And they have already put together a plan that they, they intend to submit to the bankruptcy court with the backing of uh, unnamed some unnamed creditors of LATAM. That uh, they're going to put it through once uh, you know, LATAM has exclusivity until November 26th at this point. So they can't do it until after that. But Rogerson said once that exclusivity ends, they intend to submit their plan. So, you know, we've got a very real potential hostile takeover attempt uh, of LATAM, which is exciting. Also, uh, it's a, yeah, definitely uh, could lead to some big changes in South America. Yeah. And I think his exact words were um, translated. Um the dividing up LATAM is not in our interests. So, so he, that's quite an expansion. I mean, Azul is a very successful Brazilian carrier. Now, I mean, will this be the latest cross-border merger in South America? I mean, we, we've seen over the last decade or so what um, the LATAM, the creation of LATAM, the creation of the larger Avianca. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, and and. There was one more. I think I'm missing one. Who else would you be missing? I, I, I have 
Um, Whatever Copa, happened to Copa bought a Colombian carrier, but they which just turned into their Wingo operation. But that was a small acquisition, right? What about uh, well, the, yeah. There's intra. I mean, in, um, border uh, consolidation within borders, like uh, you know, goal with maps. Um, but I, am I missing one? Whatever happened to Varig? <laughs> Varig went bankrupt essentially, okay. and Tam acquired their long haul assets. If I do right. recall, and then Tam now became part can... of Latam. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly, exactly. There's been two major cross-border mergers, I believe. Right. That Avianca and uh, Taka and Lan and Tam to create Latam. So it's a fascinating process. Now, of course, Rogerson didn't provide any details in his interview per se. Uh, you know, But really what it's going to come down to is you know, the bankruptcy judge is going to look at the best uh, you know, return for, for creditors uh, through this process, what he sees. And so... You know, if if Azul puts together a legit plan backed by a major some major creditors of Latam, they have a very real chance at at pulling this off through the courts. And you did know, Azul uh, uh, did uh, did um, Latam have anything to say about the matter? Latam declined to comment. They have spoken pre. I mean, they've previously on the record said they are not interested in selling their Brazilian unit. So you know, it's it's hard to say. You know, I, I imagine they have the same view. <laughs> selling the entire airline and the Cueto family has uh, a sizable stake. You know, it's it's a iconic Chilean company, Lan. So that would be it. Would be an interesting moves. Though I want to say, arguably, it wouldn't change the balance of power in South America very right. much because Azul is a Brazilian carrier with few international routes at right. this point. So. They would gain, you know, I've, I've gotten some questions online about, you know, uh, regulatory antitrust concerns. And I'm like, you know, outside of Brazil, there aren't many because there's so little overlap. You know, if LATAM already flies it, then it probably they don't face Azul. In Brazil, they would have about a 58% share of capacity based okay. on current numbers. Um, and of course, you know, I'm sure an analyst uh, speaking about the previous Azul-LATAM-Brazil combo said, you know, they see any antitrust concerns as, as you know, something that could be dealt with through divestitures, uh, you know, probably like Congonia, Santos Dumont, Guaralos, the busiest airports there. You know, and goal is, is bolstered. They've got American Airlines investing in them. So, you know, they could be ready to acquire some slots if if, uh, if an Azul Latam deal does happen. So, you know, it's it's fascinating, uh, fascinating days in South America. You Absolutely. put it recently chatting with, with me, Madhu, that, you know, South America really is the most exciting place on the airline map right now in terms of, of you know, mergers, acquisitions and combos and, and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's interesting times. And it's um, it's as always, you know, <clears throat> as has been true for a long time, it's just uh, an interesting confluence as well of like changing attitudes towards air travel, the almost complete lack of surface travel, um, viable surface travel options, not only between countries, but within countries. And, and, you know, government's still viewing, are starting to change their view that airlines are the preserve of the rich or air travel is the preserve of the rich. So it's really sort of an interesting place. There's cross-border consolidation. I mean, all sorts. So Absolutely. And to your point of, you know, airlines being a replacement for, you know, poor ground transportation, uh, I know Avianca's restructuring plan was approved by the bankruptcy court this week. And, you know, under that plan, which we've talked about before, you know, they are looking at a, a more budget-oriented future. They're not becoming a budget carrier, but more, you know, leisure, point-to-point travel. You know, CEO Adrian Newhauser has spoken to me about, you know, 
bringing Avianca, an alternative to the bus, uh, you know, mm-hmm. going between some of these secondary cities in Colombia and Central America, which is something we've heard from Valeris. Yeah, I mean, that's Valar- Valaris's whole um, business plan, essentially, is to, is replacing bus tra- passengers passengers and and it's interesting when you when we when we say that when you hear Valaris when I whenever I hear Valaris say we're replacing bus passengers I've, I've always like that that's just so weird but then when, but then when you look at the numbers I mean the the sheer volume of bus passengers in Mexico and, and throughout Latin America is enormous and the the luxury bus market is a subset of it but is still enormous and easily dwarfs air travel so there even if you know Valaris has said if they take off a fraction or siphon off a fraction of the the that traffic it's a huge market so um so yeah interesting times absolutely absolutely and then Madhu you got the chance uh, you know moving to North America uh, <laughs> you got the chance to listen to Air Canada's results yesterday you know how did they do what what are they looking at well it's interesting so Air Canada is um well, first of all, Canada was basically shuttered for a lot of the pandemic and just started reopening to transborder passengers in July and um, to international passengers just what last month. So it's kind of awakening. The, the country's airlines are awakening. and um, But Air Canada, you know, to the surprise of no one, it's cargo that has fueled a lot of Air Canada's results. I mean, the, the carrier... Um, has earned a record Canadian $1 billion, which is a little over 800 US so far this year from, from, from cargo. And this was not a big revenue line for the, the airline before the pandemic. So, you know, it's to adding more freighters, it's getting um, seven, six, seven freighters. It's, it's, and it says the interesting thing to me about this, and this is true. We've heard this at a bunch of other airlines, Ned, is that, um, cargo was always important, but now it has a seat at the table. I mean, it, it, Cargo routes are being chosen based on their cargo and passenger potential. Whereas before, you know, it was always the passenger potential and then whatever you can shove in the belly was um was interesting. Did Air Canada name any routes that they're they're looking at or have added that are, you know, look use that metric of cargo and passenger potential versus just passenger? It, you know, it did not. The executives did not, but they, they stressed that cargo is really they, they feel like this trend is not abating anytime soon, especially given the sort of shift in co- consumer behavior. Um toward more e-commerce accelerated by the pandemic and um, and also the just the current shipping bottlenecks, which there's no end in sight for that, right? So I mean, that's I, something that Carson Sports said at Lufthansa as well. Lufthansa expects continued record results through 2022 because of the e-commerce and the shipping bottlenecks. So right. cargo so, for the win. Yeah, cargo for the win. And you know, I love my cargo. But the, the, other, the other trend that Air, Air Canada pointed out is something that echoed by Lufthansa and a whole bunch of other carriers is premium premium leisure premium leisure is a thing <laughs> and um lucy guillemet and if ned butchers spanish i'm butchering french so i apologize you can reach me at mu at skiff.com and tell me how bad my french pronunciation is i'm in high school you know i took a french class and i sound okay um, my dude we don't need to hear about your french lessons told me i sounded like <laughs> un vache espagnol whatever that may mean anyway um <laughs> Uh, I digress, but Lucy Lucy Guillemet um, said uh, said that to their surprise, to Air Canada's surprise, premium cabin revenues held up better than economy class revenues 
um, in the third quarter. And this was sort of a trend they'd seen throughout, but it really was noticeable during the peak summer season. She did not, um, she didn't break it down just by, you know, put any numbers against those, but just said the premium premium was doing really well. And it wasn't business traveling. Canada's corporate travel market lags the U.S., according to Air Canada. And, you know, the recovery hasn't really taken off to the same level as the U.S. So so these weren't these weren't road warriors in the front of, the air, of Air Canada's airplanes. These were people going to visit friends and family or going to um, going to sun destinations in particular. So, I mean, to what to sort of echoing what Karsten Spohr said, I mean, the, the people have a lot of money saved up. A lot of people have a lot of money saved up and they're they're willing to splash out on on a lie flat seat to go to the Caribbean or, or visit India. So, uh, you know, friends and family in India. So I thought that was interesting. I mean, I, but I'm curious. I mean, let's 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 talk about this. Ned, what's your opinion? Do you think this premium travel um, premium leisure travel trend will continue. I mean, and I'm gonna gonna sort of preface that by saying, uh, Guillemette said that uh, they're kind of riding this wave for as long as they can, and think that when road warriors start to return, that they will displace people from the front of the aircraft, uh, vacationers from the from the aircraft. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I eventually, were- right? I mean, people's savings are gonna run out. They're gonna go back to to what they they had their discretionary income before the pandemic. I have to be with Lucy and and you, Madhu. I I think it's a surge that's going to go on for you know how long TBD. But yes, it's going to run out at some point. Of you know, I it's hard to see barring you know, Delta's comment that they're investing in more premium seats. Mm-hmm. You know the you know premium travel really staying a huge a large chunk of the revenue pie as corporates come back. You know that said you know. I don't know. I I think leisure travelers always wanted to get a business or a premium economy seat when they could afford it. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of these people booking this are probably taking advantage of advantageous fares. You know, fares have been lower. So you've mentioned this before because they didn't have business travelers booking up business class seats. You know, those prop fare, there probably were more cheaper fares available and people booked them up for, for leisure trips. I really think as those, those deals disappear, as, as business travelers come back, we're going to see it's not that there's not a desire to fly in a premium class, but it's just going to be people are going to face the harsh economic reality that they can't afford to keep doing this or they're going to travel less and, yes, fly fly a premium class. So, right. So I think know. we're seeing a pivot point of just speculating. A pivot point will come when people's savings at the point where people's savings start to go back to what they were before the pandemic and business class fares rise to what they were before the pandemic. And and right. also, I mean, another factor to consider is as more companies, large companies, corporate clients start to return, they will have, you know, they, they usually get first crack at business class seats. So there, you know, it's going to be, there's a pivot, I guess there'll be a pivot point at some time in the next year or so when, when people, leisure travels will increasingly be priced out. Right. And when that not, pivot is, I don't know. Yeah, and no I don't think, you know, <laughs> no one knows. But I, I agree with uh, Lucy's point that, you know, Air Canada should ride that wave and, and every airline that can should ride that wave as financials are still slowly improving. So yeah, it sounds like a sound uh, business strategy to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ned, let's let's leave that here for now. And, and we invite anyone who's listening to this to give us your feedback or your thoughts on the premium leisure trend um at you can reach me at emmy at skiff.com you can reach ned at er at skiff.com thanks for listening and thanks thanks for joining us bye madu bye ned
Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. 